Dreaming about teaming up with a superhero? Heartbroken about the latest comic death? Do you find your conversations always turning to Marvel? Then welcome Marvelites to your therapy session. Join your hosts as we explore the realms of the Marvel Universe, taking you into new insights, movie reviews, and debates. Here, we won't try to cure any obsessions, but fuel them because the world is better nerdy. Welcome to your Marvel Therapy Group. And hello, and welcome to another episode of Marvel Therapy Group. I am still your solo host, Jack Martin, still hijacking the podcast. Uh, and I got some, I got, I brought back some guests from the other week. We got Justin and Pat joining us once again. Hey, what up? It's your boy. That's gonna be uh, it's gonna be my new uh, it's gonna be my new catchphrase every time I show up. Yo, what up? It's your boy. <laughs> I'm not against it. <laughs> so today I thought we would do something kind of fun, and we would talk about uh, some of the big creative forces in the MCU. We're gonna talk about our favorite directors in the MCU. All right. So um. I got I got my list. You guys sort of have some ideas in mind for directors. I have a list in my head. So uh, why don't you uh, why don't you start us off, host? Pick us off? Okay. So uh, I just did my top five directors, and number five, I'm gonna give it up to Ryan Coogler, uh, director of Black Panther. See, Ryan Coogler, I feel like he made a movie that meant so much to people and affected so many people. And it's just, you could tell he was a director who understood how important this movie was, especially to the African-American community. And I'm glad he just made a movie that had such an impact, especially if he was able to be so creative while still working within, like, the Marvel hierarchy. Um, The way he used every character in that movie, like, literally, there was no character that you felt like, oh, he's just there to be there. Like, every character had a purpose. Like, even... Mumbaku, the character who you're like, he's not going to be important. He's going to show up for like five minutes. He was wicked important. Uh, Two really good villains. Uh, You had Killmonger and you had uh, Ulysses Claw, who was actually really good. Andy Serkis was having a good time in that role. He was having a blast. (laughs) And I mean, you got to give it up to the director who scored Marvel their first Oscars. So, yeah, number five, Ryan Coogler. He wasn't even their first, uh, he wasn't even their first choice. Like of director, like I remember, um, they were trying to, yeah, they were, yeah try- they were trying to get her. Yeah, and, and bl- bless her heart, she seems like a lovely person. She's done some, uh, she's done some good movies. Uh, then so, she, al- uh, she also did, uh, then she also did a Wrinkle in Time. So uh, that was a wrinkle in the box office. <laughs> it's the classic, uh, it's the classic Brad Bird, who he was their first choice for the Force Awakens, and he was like. No, you guys, I'm not going to do Star Wars. I, I've got this passion project. It's called Tomorrowland, and it's going to be great. And it was not great. In, in defense of A Wrinkle in Time, from what I've heard, if, like, for the people who that movie is actually aimed for, they actually like connected with it. Who is that movie actually aimed for? <laughs> I know, not us, apparently. Not us. It, ha- it does have a audience, and there are people who do like, like it for its good qualities. No, but... um. Ryan Coogler has actually done all good movies, so, uh, you know, I agree with that. Very good get for the MCU. All right, which one of you wants to go next? Uh, so what I'm going to do is, I guess, since I don't have a written out list, I'm just going to think off the top of my head and say, uh, and say good things about various directors uh, in order. And the first one I'm going to go with 
is my boy John Favreau, who started off the MCU proper. Uh, he did Iron Man One, he did Iron Man Two, and then he's sort of been like loosely affiliated, executive producing and starring in the rest of them. And um, I feel like it wasn't until uh, one of my later choices, probably my next one, that the MCU really started to be like a stylistic thing. Like, okay, this director came in and brought like a certain, sh like like a voice and a vision to the movie they were doing. Like for a, for a stretch there, it was just sort of like a logistical thing. Like we got this director who hasn't done very many big movies, but sort of knows how to like how to handle, like, a small, intimate cast on, like, a big scale. Um, and Favreau, I feel like, really understood, like, the sort of not realistic qualities that, like, that came with, like, Iron Man 1, but, like, that pseudo-realism, if that, uh, if, for what that, that, uh, amounts to. Like, the Iron Man suit never looked and felt more real than it did in that first movie, mm. and, um... Oh, yeah. I know, I know the people, people really don't like, like, the third act, um... I kind of do, because I went into Iron Man 1 completely blind. I hadn't seen a single trailer. I hadn't seen anything. I didn't know what was up. So when it turned out that uh, uh, Obadiah Stane was the villain, I, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what I was seeing. But um, uh, back to Favreau, I, just, I, I felt like there was a groundwork sort of laid there that wasn't like baseline, but it gave like something to something to work with for like other like even like when you get to like Thor 1 you sort of still sort of see what Favreau put in place there as far as like a handling of characters and the logistics of the universe um and uh yeah Happy Hogan is funny um and I am glad that you can still sort of see uh Favreau's involvement in this extended franchise uh right from the start and he had faith in Downey and that's what got us here. So yeah, John Favreau is my number one. This list is in no order. All right, Pat. Uh, for my fifth person, I put Joss Whedon. Oh, he's my number four, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Age of Ultron was not as good as the original, but the original was really good. I mean, Avengers was such a flagship movie in a lot of ways. And I think what he was able to achieve, you know, bringing together all those threads from the first phase of Marvel in a really spectacular way. And a movie that still really holds up, like uh, the humor I think is still really good, a lot of the visuals. That was, what, like 2012, I want to say? Mm -hmm. I think it was, yeah. Um, I mean, he wrote and directed the whole thing by himself, which is pretty impressive. And I, I was looking this up, and only... One other director has been credited as a sole writer and director, and that was James Gunn. Um, so I think it's impressive for that as well. You know, if you want to go a little bit beyond, you know, directorial duties, he wrote the whole thing by himself. It's pretty impressive. No, I definitely think he he made the MCU what it was. He really set like the template for an MCU movie more than any other director in terms of the humor, the story, the characters. Um, and I think even Age of Ultron, really, I think he sort of helped shape the MCU for the better with Age of Ultron, because I think Age of Ultron, um, like, Kevin Feige looked at that movie and was like, oh, maybe we're being too hard on the directors, maybe we need to loosen up and give them more creative control. Yeah, it was a tale. Yeah, so you could almost look at that's how we got, um, Thor Ragnarok, that's how we got Guardians 2, that's how we got Black Panther, of just 
Marvel realizing we just have to lay off these directors a little bit and you know let them make what the movie they want to make. So you could even look at Joss Whedon as being responsible for that. Yeah, because you know we really needed a farm scene. That's yeah. one of the good parts of that movie. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Like, he fought so hard for that, and I don't know if it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it, and I will tell you why. The good parts, the parts that really hold up of Avengers 1 aren't even the actual battling stuff, but it's the bits where they're all just arguing in the lab. The character interactions are Whedon's strong suit. Yeah, that's where he shines. And that's why, like, like I think he fought for the party scene, the farm scene, and the dream sequences. And that is because that's the moments where those characters are allowed to just kind of breathe play off of one another, and, and be informed by what's going on around them. Those are the three best and most important parts in that entire film. Um, I don't know if Whedon will be, will be on my list. He might. He probably will be. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. But um, for that stuff alone, uh, I agree with you guys. But um, Age of Ultron is fine. <laughs> I kind of like it. It's not the worst. It, it is... It is not the worst, and, you, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of, like, annual issues of comics. Like, you know, you have, like, it's the like, same with Iron Man 2. You know, you have, like, your storylines proper, which progress and ebb and flow and all that. And then you have an annual, which is just kind of a, just kind of a party. It's, uh, it's a bit of a shame that Ultron had to be used for that, but, you know. What are you going to do? It's an imperfect world. I would be happy to see Ultron come back in another movie. <sighs> they could. I don't know. Yeah. Alright, since we just talked about Joss Whedon, I'll move on to my number three, which is uh, Taika Waititi. He's my number three, too? Hey! He was probably on mine, too. Like, 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 let's get real. I, I, I love that man. So, yeah, he's probably... All of his movies are so good. Like, What We Do in the Shadows has become one of like my favorite comedies ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to give it up. He brought just a fresh sense of humor to the MCU. Um, he's probably made the, like, most fun Marvel movie out of them all, and he completely, like, fixed the character of Thor, so you gotta give that up to him. I think he's the big example in the MCU of a director who worked with an actor to take a look at a character or a facet of a universe and be like, this isn't working, how can we fix it? How can we play to what's strong here and sort of whittle out what is weak here? And from the, and this is kind of... I'm, I'm going to defend Thor 1 in a pretty major way uh, in a couple of minutes, but um, I, I think Thor 3 is a sort of natural, okay, let's take this character who is working to varying degrees and let's sort of like make him more comfortable by putting him in a decidedly uncomfortable situation for that character. I think... Ragnarok is sort of an odyssey of itself, and um, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I really, I really like that movie. I really like that movie for what it is, and I also really like uh, what we do in the shadows. And um, you see, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, right? That's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Even, even Boy, Boy was, Boy was nice. Boy was. I actually haven't seen Boy. <laughs> it's good. You'd like it. I, I, I gotta get around to it. Pat, thoughts on uh, Taika Waititi? I think what he was able to accomplish with Thor. In one movie, is you know, astronomical. It was a soft reboot of a character that you know people just weren't really feeling because they weren't letting Chris Hemsworth do his thing and be a comedian, which is what he's best at. And you know, finally, someone had the good sense to say, "We're gonna, we're gonna do that." 
And he did. <laughs> and he looks better with the short hair. Yeah, he does. Well, and then just final thoughts uh, on Taika Waititi. I'm sorry, did you have something else you wanted to say? I was just going to go, I was just going to say my number four. Because Taika's my number three. All right, just final thoughts on Taika Waititi. Uh, his his new movie looks his new movie looks insane. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, is that uh, where he's playing um, where a little boy's imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler and he's playing Adolf Hitler. Wait, is there a trailer for it? No, but just from the pictures and oh, the synopsis okay. Okay. and everything, and it's Taika. I'm I'm very excited for that movie. But when are we gonna get Thor four? But the but the everything but the th is is the is the, is the four. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Um, All right, Pat, you wanna shoot out another director? Yeah, who's your next one, Pat? Um, my number four, which I think Taika obviously uh, owes a lot of thanks to, is James Gunn. Yeah. Um, people thought that. I mean, at least. I certainly thought that Guardians was going to be a stupid movie about a talking raccoon and a sentient tree, and I was very wrong, because it turned out to be a smash hit and brought a team from total obscurity into the spotlight, and has you know, effectively launched the career of Chris Pratt um, and transformed him from a you know, small-time TV actor to an A-lister. And he's... I wouldn't say he's like you know, um, on the same level as someone like, um... Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise or, um, Harrison Ford. You know, he's not there yet, but he's a, he's a budding action star. You know, he's got the uh, Jurassic World gig, he's gonna be in It 2. Um... Is he? Yeah. Chris Pratt? Yeah. Really? I believe so. I did not know that. That's cool. That's a hell of a cat. Yeah, he's got like eight Lego minifigures though. So uh, Rex Danger Vest. Oh, uh, I I lo- okay. Another conversation entirely. I love Rex Danger Vest. <laughs> he's incredible. Uh like Lego Movie Two, Pat. What's that? Uh, that's um. Have you seen uh, Lego Movie Two yet? No, I've not. Oh uh, yes. It, uh, he he is incredible in it. Um, but yeah, no, I totally, I totally get your point. Gun was definitely, uh, in all seriousness, Gun was uh, definitely going to be on my list too. Um, I actually didn't love Guardians One the first time I saw. It. I've totally come around to it. Um, but Guardians Two is, I'd say, top tier for how, for how brutally personal of a movie it is. Like, like that is. So personal, like Guardians One. Maybe stylistically, it was you could tell it was a movie that was very like like that was the one I was talking about earlier. That was a director defined his vision through the movie he created for the universe, as opposed to the other way around. Like it was less, oh, you've done these movies, come do this. James Gunn sort of beforehand he was like he was like a comedy guy. He was like a comedy slash schlock horror guy, and he sort of like created a universe within the universe of Guardians 1, and then Guardians 2 have it like, like, Guardians of the Galaxy sort of is its own genre of science fiction now, and it's because of what he brought to the table. And I think, uh, I, I think, I think Guardians 2 is the better of the two movies, mm-hmm. and I think Gun Solidify, like, I, I, I don't know, regardless of what he goes on to do, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever do a better movie, a movie that is more him than Guardians 2. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, in, in recent news, a lot of people may not be as big of fans of James Gunn as they used to be. Yeah. Um, which is not an unfair decision to make. Um, you know, it's the other day he has to take stock of what he has said or done on the internet. But, I mean, I, I do think that it's, you know, it's still fair to say that he, he did, you know, for the cosmic side of Marvel what, you know, John Favreau did for the Earth side of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys ever, like, follow him a lot, a lot? like, I mean, again, beside the controversy, like, like follow him on social media for, like, the, how all the behind-the-scenes stuff he'd show, like, about... Oh, yeah. Like, like he would post intimately about the screenwriting process, about the production process, mm-hmm. stuff with all the actors, stuff about why he chose the songs he did uh, for both movies. It's just, just like... He was a real voice into the filmmaking side of the MCU, which really helped for when people were like, uh, oh, these are too cookie-cutter. They're all the same movie. But, like, he sort of showed... He, he showed a lot about it, and like every time a new movie came out, you know, like in the MCU, he'd always have his thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. He he just he was a really cool internet presence. Like I, I right up until he wasn't, but um, no, uh, I I think for what he contributed to the MCU, and um, I mean obviously he contributed like probably the last we'll see of him for a little while, like in this universe. Uh, will be in what he contributed to Infinity War and Endgame uh, for yes. the Guardians themselves. And uh, that's that's a hell of a note to go out on for how much, for how well the Guardians gelled and vibed in, uh, in at least Infinity War. Well, I think a lot of the same ways you could look at the MCU movies as being like, you can totally tell these movies are pre-Whedon's involvement and post-Whedon's involvement, I think. James Gunn is sort of the same way. You can really see like which movies were pre-James Gunn and which movies were post-Guardians James Gunn. With he sort of steered the MCU into a more like different, unique way than where it was going before. Like a lot. Yeah, just to correct my earlier statement, Chris Pratt is not in the it sequel. I was no. gonna say because that's like a. I saw it and it gets really latched on to. <laughs> we still have Bill Hader though. You did Bill Hader. And uh, and. And James, James McAvoy. McAvoy, yeah. James McAvoy, Bill Skarsgård is obviously returning. Uh, should still be a good movie without Bill? Chris Pratt. Welcome to the It Chapter Two podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to have the bloodiest scene in all of horror in it. Looking forward to it. <laughs> all right, um, Justin, you want to throw out a director? Uh, I will. Um, so obviously we've gone through a few that I would have chosen so far. Like I probably. Uh, I probably would have thrown in a weed, uh, Whedon, and I would have thrown in Gunn, and I've, I've, I've yammered on enough about both of them. But now, I'm going to throw out a, uh, an unconventional pick. My boy, Kenneth Branagh. Dire- director of Thor. Hold up! Hold up! Okay. Up until that point, up until that point, harken back, if you will, to the, to the fresh year of 2011. Uh, <laughs> where, uh, up until that point in the MCU, we had had Favreau, who stylistically didn't bring as much, again, beyond the pseudo-realism I was talking about, but um, he, he sort of, like, steered the ship forward, and as did whoever directed Incredible Hulk. But, Who knows? Yeah. Louis Leterrier. Exactly. Louis Leterrier. That's, that's, that's the guy. What um, a guy. I think he did Clash of the Titans. But, um... Uh, and then you get to, you get to Thor, which I feel like people forget at the, to- at the time... 
what a hard sell that was going to be, especially after, like, Iron Man. Because, like, Iron Man and Hulk were both, like, relatively grounded films, and then you get to Thor, and you do sort of have to do, like, proto-James Gunn, like, okay, what's this side of the universe? What's it going to look like? Who's going to populate it? Um, and I just really liked the idea of you get the Shakespearean director, and you, you, you have the Dutch angles. Leave the Dutch angles out of it. Leave Chris Hemsworth's weird bleached eyebrows out of it. But I just feel... Please. Oh. For the love of Thor. Oh, you can't rewatch that movie. Oh, they're so terrible. They're so terrible, and you notice them clear as day. But, um, no, I, I just feel like he brought a real sense of drama and decorum to... To, to what was like a cra- like a crazy realm of characters. And the way he talked about it, it, it just seemed like such a solid early amalgam of my sensibilities as a creative and, well, Kenneth Brown's sensibilities as a creative. And um, the, he talked a lot about like the Jack Kirby aesthetic and wanting to replicate that like on the big screen. And I'm not going to say that it's the most well-realized we ever saw of Asgard. I think even in Thor The Dark World, you get to see that developed a little bit more. You get to go down on the streets, sort of see what stuff is like. But, like, I think about scenes like Loki finding out he's a frost giant. And, like, his confrontation with Thor at the end. I I think Hiddleston is the MVP of that entire movie. Um, But, you like, meeting the frost giants and even some of the stuff on Earth. Like, even, like, like with the stupid human town, which I think we'll, uh, I think we'll see again. I think a lot of that is owed to Brenna. And I think the Thor and Loki relationship, which was so, which was such a cornerstone which has become such a cornerstone to the MCU. I, I think Branagh set a lot of that up and led into a lot of... I, I, I think what works so well about Thor now is that Thor 1 and Thor Ragnarok are such a perfect duology of what that character is. You sort of have the larger-in-life Shakespeareanness, and then you sort of have like the wacky sci-fi space pulp thing, and then you have Thor the Dark World in there somewhere doing its own, doing its own thing. I believe you're looking for that... Oh, it's it's not it's not it's not good. No. But um, it's not it's not great. Um, but um, yeah, I just I really appreciate the sensibilities Brana brought to these characters, and I really like Thor one, and I feel like people are too mean about it. No, I'll agree with you. I mean, I like Kenneth Brana as a person. I like his sensibilities as a creator. Uh, I hope Artemis Fowl turns out good. Well. It probably won't be. <laughs> but he seems passionate about it. He seems he seems very passionate. Um, I really liked him as the voice of the guy on the radio at the beginning of Infinity War saying that, oh my god, all the Asgardians are going to get murdered. And then they did. And he's always going to be our Gilderoy Lockhart, so we'll give him that. He is. <laughs> um, no, I, I, um, I, actually, I actually watched the commentary for Thor... For, Thor, Thor the first Thor. Um, I heard him talk about all the things. I, I don't know. They just called it that. Thor I, the first Thor. Thor the first Thor. Thor the dark Thor. Thor the third Thor. And then Thor, Thor four. And then Thor, but the four is the only R. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, so Kenneth Branagh is my next pick. Love that guy. All right, Pat. Nice. Uh, Good guy. Because I think what he... Like, the, the diversity that he brought... I, I feel like he effectively doubled, like, the... Um, 
you know, like on screen, they're doing their thing. And then just like to build like this whole other world that just sort of, uh, really just gives like a whole other demographic of people something to look at and appreciate and a young audience to, you know, see people that look like them on screen is just so huge. And for them to be trained like all their regalness and uh, all their, the, the glory and to, be, to have it be portrayed as this, you know, almost utopian-like society that's so advanced um, in their technology is just really important. Like the, the, the social impact is almost, it's almost seemingly never-ending. Um, and I'm very excited. I think that's a very hotly anticipated sequel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also something to keep in mind. You know, the same way where Guardians 2 was very hyped up. Um, I think you're seeing the same kind of thing, you will, as more news comes out post-Endgame. Uh, Black Panther 2 is going to be a really hot uh, piece of news to talk about. Oh, definitely. I, it's, I feel like it's the closest... This, this could be a little hyperbolic, but I'm gonna stand by it. I feel like it's the closest we got. Every time, like a big, a big, really successful commercial movie comes out, I feel like people are really quick to say, "This is the next Star Wars. This is the Star Wars of uh, this is the Star Wars of this generation." Just as far as it is as an ensemble, as like a a, a piece of blockbuster fare, and like sort of how it functions within within cinema. People said it about Guardians about uh, a lot. I think Black Panther watching that. How it set up its world, how its characters relate to one another within that world, and sort of their struggle. I think that felt to me to be like the most Star Warsy thing we've gotten in a while. Like as far mm-hmm. as like Yeah, and I think you'll see it inspired movies for years to come. Yeah. Uh, I I don't really think I, I would be curious to see when the next movie comes out that is, okay, this owes itself to Black Panther, because I don't think that's I don't think that's happened yet. I mean, as far as diversity is concerned, you know, Captain Marvel is already is also working with that, but it's it's in a it's in a different way. It, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I don't think you could argue with the cultural impact that movie had. I'd say mm-hmm. out of all of the what are we at now? Fourteen Marvel movies that have been released. It's more than fourteen. That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's like tw- I, I I think it's like twenty something. It might be twenty one. Uh, Ant Man might have been twenty. Yeah. And Men in the Lost, I mean. It's been 14 directors. Ah, okay, um, yeah. But out of all the movies that have been released, I'd say that one has had the most cultural impact of all of them. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And for that, it is my number two. I mean, Brian Coogler as a director. All right, so we talked about uh, everyone on my list. James Gunn was my number one. Uh, the only people we haven't talked about who I put at number two were uh, Anthony and Joe Russo. Yeah, that's my number one, baby. Who was your... Uh... Who'd you say? Coogler, what's your, who's your number um, one? It went Ryan Coogler at five, Joss Whedon, Taika Waititi, Anthony and Joe Russo, and James Gunn at number one. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, Anthony and Joe Russo. I mean, we talked a lot about um, how Whedon was able to balance a whole ensemble of characters in Avengers. And then uh, these two came along in Civil War and were like, this is how it's done. And then they got even more characters in Infinity War and they're still like, all right, not a problem. We can do this. And yeah, every movie they've gotten has just been amazing. And I think it's really impressive, too, that they literally had no experience directing action. They were, they were comedy directors. They had yeah, done Arrested Development and Community. Yeah. The paintball, the paintball episodes of Community would uh, care to disagree with you, sir. <laughs> and I mean, you've got to give them credit for taking Captain America and making him like 
people's basically favorite character and like the heart of the MCU in one movie, which is still arguably like the best MCU movie. Uh, I think you find a lot of agreements with that. Um, Winter Soldier? Yeah. 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 Totally. totally. I think it's still the most acclaimed movie, uh, at least from a fan critic perspective. And I mean, you just got to look at all these blockbusters that fans are so divisive on. Like, Star Wars has really never recovered from The Last Jedi. People always find something to complain about. Uh, and the, the stakes could not have been higher for Avengers Infinity War. And they made a movie that's basically universally loved. Like, you won't find any fans who are like, this sucks. Like, you'll find fans that have problems with it. But everybody agrees it was an amazing achievement. I, I just... I think the amazing... I, I, I'm, I'm not sure universally loved I think I do think it is a major achievement that they got Thanos to work as well as he does um just as far as how that character is realized on screen how they've reassessed his motivations how he functions with all the rest of the characters in the movie when I first saw that movie I remember thinking I I really liked it I really liked how it played out but I was like oh so not everyone's going to be on screen for the same amount of time, which we'd sort of been accustomed to. Like, some characters are only going to be showing up here and there in pockets, but I'm like, oh, it's not really their movie. It's Thanos' movie, and everyone else is interwoven in throughout it. And I do think that's a really bold stance to be taken for a movie like this. I still think, of the Russo Brothers movies, I still think uh, Winter Soldier is the best. Because it took mm-hmm. the smallest cast and was able to do the most... It was able to do the most for the most of them. Uh, I think Civil War does wonders for Tony Stark as a character, and I think uh, that Zemo is the best villain in the MCU. Um, That's high praise. I abs- absolutely, absolutely. Only other one who's even a contender is Vulture in uh, Homecoming. The, those are my boys. But um, just Infinity War, uh, the, the Russos held such a beast of a movie together. And um, I feel like uh, also uh, also a little credit needs to be shared for uh, Marcus and uh, McFeely, the uh, the screenwriters who um, yeah, absolutely who, uh, just just so many sh- scenes throughout that movie that aren't even particularly grandiose scenes really shine. Like Thor meeting the Guardians it feels like two groups of characters meeting up. Um, Handled so well. Uh, that's uh, ab- absent of the fact that my favorite scene in the entire movie is with Thor's telling Rocket about all the things he's lost because he has and Thor <laughs> Thor the Dark World mattered because it just sort of wrenched that knife for the poor guy a bit more and uh, going back to Taika Waititi you can see I, I guess that's the thing in the Russos when it really mattered you could see them pull in like they had the round they had a round circle didn't they of helping uh, keep these characters all together I, like I think they had Derek's in there I think they had Gunn there I think they had, I think they had uh, Taika Watiti there and they all sort of worked to like like build from where they came but also like make this a conducive thing and it really is yeah. and I'm really excited I, I do think that Endgame could could be an even better movie than Infinity War. And I'm really excited to see. I don't know what they'll do from here, but like if they stop doing movies after Endgame, they've they left a hell of a legacy behind. And I think uh, people who can follow in their footsteps and uh, pull off something uh, really great from there. Like like Infinity War, it makes you care about it makes you care about characters that you might not have even like. I didn't even love Doctor Strange the movie. Like that's probably yeah. among. I'd say he's the MVP of the whole movie. 
Oh. I mean, excluding Thanos in terms of like Avengers and like, I don't know, it, it did a lot for for Doctor Strange. Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited for his sequel now. You, you, you see, I'm a little nervous though because and this is this is unrelated. I Do- Doctor Strange, I always think he functions best when he just like I wonder what if he hadn't even had a solo movie? What if the first time we met him was in that weird scene in Ragnarok and then he's in Infinity War because that's what he does. That's what he functions as in the universe. He's sort of like consulting help. And the thing that's great about Infinity War is we get to see him do all the Marvel versus Capcom powers that we like to see. Um <laughs> We don't really need to see him learn all that. I mean, I will be excited to see his sequel as well. Um, I hope they push it a little further. Derrickson is not on my list, bless his heart. I do really like him. I do really yeah. like his stuff. I do think he is coming back, though. He, I he, think that's all but confirmed. He, he is coming back, and I'm sure he's really passionate about the character. You know what? I guess now I'm going to sing his praises. I guess he is on my list now. Um, he's really passionate about the character. Um, I feel like he really gets the like cosmic sensibilities that make Doctor Strange uh, that make Doctor Strange work. I, I just I, that first movie maybe that wasn't even his fault. Maybe he just felt a little grounded by the whole oh sh- we sort of have to show like an entry level Doctor Strange as opposed to like all the cool shit he gets to do in uh, Infinity War. Um, maybe the sequel will be different. I, I would I would certainly hope so, but. Um, the Russos. Yes, the Rus- the Russos. I really like them. I really like their right. stuff. I really like the the brief shout out to the uh, Arrested Development and community cameos we have gotten throughout the Russo Brothers films. Good on them. And we're getting more than game. Yes. Woo. Yes, we are. Who's uh? And John. Who's it gonna be? Is it gonna? And John. Oh, it is. Okay. Very cool. I mean, only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. Was really hoping for Allison Brie, but that's I would that's be okay. I would be totally okay with Will Arnett popping up in the MCU at some <laughs> point. However, they want to put him in. Uh, so that was all the directors for me. Uh, anybody else you guys want to touch upon? Give a shout out to. Um, as a weird honorable mention, Edgar Wright. going to be my next question. Is there any directors on the top of your head you'd be like, you know, I'd love to see him or her take on an MCU movie. Okay. Real quick. Before 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 we do that, okay. <laughs> I have an honorable mention and I have a dishonorable mention who okay. I feel like still needs to be uh, still needs to be mentioned. Okay. Honorable mention is uh, John Watts, who uh, I don't know if you guys see, have uh, seen Cop Car, but um, it's a sort of cool, low budget, um, it's sort of a thriller, and Kevin Bacon is sort of, like let's let me just to to simplify it. Uh, you know the uh, the 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 talk in the the dad talk car the dad talk car scene in Homecoming. That's oh, that yes. that's basically cop car. Like that 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 is probably what got him the job. Um, beyond all the Spider-Man stuff that people like about Homecoming, like you know how it feels more like the character, how he's funny and all that. I just. I, he, he brought a real mindfulness to that character's role in the universe, um, sort of functioning as part of an ensemble. You want to talk about diversity. He sort of uh, brought a nice sense of diversity and like like super authentic feeling 
Homecoming feels like an extremely authentic film with it, like, taking place in a school, like, taking place with, like, actual kids, um, uh, sort of like the, the street-level superhero stuff, and obviously, um, th this iteration of, uh, Vulture and, uh, his crew, I feel like, are owed a lot to watch. I'm really excited to see him come back for Far From Home. I think Mysterio looks great. Like, regardless of the post-Endgame stuff, um, I'm happy he's sticking with this. I feel like he, he brings a good hand to Spider-Man. Uh, I like seeing this version of the character progress. I will be curious to see how Watts functions with a sort of Spider-Man proper, like, once he actually, like, gets to New York City, and once we start getting, like, maybe, like, Daily Bugle stuff, and, like, science stuff, and, like, other... I, I hope he sticks with it, though. I really like, uh, I really like how he's handled this so far. My dishonorable, but still kind of honorable mention... I gotta give it to Shane Black. Say what you will, I really enjoyed Iron Man 3. I don't know. I don't even think that the Mandarin trailer was a bad thing. Oh, the Mandarin twist is the best thing about that entire movie. I don't even know. Okay. I. Shane Black made my least favorite movie of last year. I think The Predator was a broken film, hated it all day. Uh, I also saw The Nice Guys last year. Really good. It's a re really good movie. Iron Man 3 is somewhere in the middle. I don't know if I I don't know if I like it. I don't even know if I enjoy it very much. But I have to give this man at least some props for doing possibly the strangest movie in the MCU at the strangest time. Like, keep in mind, this was 2013. This was immediately post-Avengers. And, like, halfway through the movie, you've got Downey running around in, like, a weird hoodie with, like, Christmas ornament bombs and, like, a staple gun. And that's, like... That's, like, the climax of the film. And, and okay, uh, Iron Man 3 does have, like, legitimate problems, and it does have, like... It does have, like, good things. But it is so strange and bizarre and such a, like, like a choice I could have never predicted. Okay, uh, uh, unironically, I think I would have liked to have seen Ant-Man 1 as directed by Shane Black. I feel like that could have been a better movie. And this is coming from someone who likes uh, where Ant-Man, how Ant-Man and the Wasp turned out. But I just feel like I gotta give Black props for doing a movie. I actually like that version of the Mandarin. I like him before the twist and I like him after the twist. It's a, it's a fine little movie. It's a weird one. But I still gotta give uh, Black a shout out for it. He's my dishonorable mention. Alright, and then a either you, director, you'd like to see come into the MCU. Uh, sometime down the road. Bradburn, Fantastic Four! Boo! No. Uh, fine, maybe. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd I like it. Incredibles. Of course I'd watch it. Um... God, I still think Mission Impossible 4 is the best Mission Impossible movie. Uh, have you seen Fallout? I've seen all of them. I've seen all the... Uh, yeah, I think I've seen all of them. Rogue Nation, I I saw two Rogue Nation is my yeah. favorite because it has a fight scene at an opera. And I, I, I really <laughs> like that. Uh, God, directors to come in. I don't, I don't even know. Am I... Do you want to help out? Sorry, so my picks. Um, oh, yeah, throw out some yeah. of your picks. I'll, th I'll uh, pick you someone. Well, I mean, the big one, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Oh, yes. I'd love to see them do something. I don't know if their relationship with Disney would let them come into the MCU. I kind of hope they will at some point. 
Um, I know they'd have to get a weird character and have to be a movie that doesn't sound like it's a good idea. But like yeah. you know, like you know, Spider Man. <laughs> uh, but then my kind of more out there pick, uh, Michelle McLaren, who I don't know if you know. Wow, you were familiar with her, but she's done. <laughs> she's done a lot. She's like she's done the X Files. She's done Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Westworld, Game of Thrones. Uh, she was the original choice for a Wonder Woman. Uh, I think she's someone who everybody's kind of waiting for her to make the, her like big debut in the movies, and I'd love to see her do something with Marvel. I would also, you won't ever see it happen, but I'd love to have James Wan come in. It won't happen. Aquaman has been too successful. They're locking him down. Oh yeah, Warner Brothers has Tim chained somewhere in their street <laughs> And he's fine with it because I mean he's you know he's doing really well right now. Dude, they've, they've promised him a billion Conjuring movies to make Aquaman too. Like Aquaman, Aquaman's kind of fun. I, <laughs> I liked it. I liked it well enough. Uh, okay, I'm still blanking on directors, so uh, this is going to be kind of a gimme. But um, God, I, I I would genuinely give a limb to see the uh, to see the Noah Hawley Doctor Doom movie. Yeah, I, I forgot I, I, that's a thing. I, I would maybe. give. I would give. My firstborn child to see Noah Hawley do a Doctor Doom movie and to see Ben Mendelsohn play him. Yes, I know he's going to be the villain in Captain Marvel. I don't care. He said he loves Doctor Doom. What one of my favorite things is about like actors talking like like really like into characters who aren't necessarily like I mean like Doctor Doom isn't an obscure character, but I love just hearing like Ben Mendelsohn like talk about oh I want to really explore Victor Von Doom as like as like the politician within a small country is like a sorcerer or whatever. I'm like, yeah I'm a big fan of that. Um oh I just I I just wish I wish it would happen. Get get or honestly, you know what that you, there you go. Get Noah Hawley for something uh Something in the MCU. Get, 100%. A, a, MCU does Fargo. You know what? You know what? Then you can reboot De- Jessica Jones. I was telling Jack the other night that what Jessica Jones needed to be was MCU does Fargo. Like sort of a weird, quirky black com- like black comedy. The movie or the show? Either or. Oh. <laughs> Not a, you know what? A movie. So I didn't have to watch 13 hours of it. Um, but no. Yeah. Noah Hawley. Yes. Um... Lord and Miller, as long as we're as long as we're doing hypotheticals, there get him for uh, uh, Heroes for Hire. Oh, that'd be good. That'd be amazing. Justin was saying that Heroes for Hire should be um, Terry Crews and Andy Sandberg. Wow. <laughs> as Luke Cage I, and look, Iron look, Fist. Maybe maybe not like those actors specifically, but that's kind that's kind of the tone that I would want. Especially like a Sandberg type as Iron Fist, like like for everyone who's like, oh oh, Danny Rand is an idiot. Yeah, he is. So use that. Use that's the point. He's just sort of like 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 hot sh- like this hot shot idiot who has more money than he knows what to do with, and like is living in Luke Cage's basement or whatever. Right. So before we leave, since I am the solo host of this episode, we're going to do something on the show that I've wanted to do for a while. Oh. And my co-hosts have always said maybe, but I have the show today, so I can do what I want. Oh. We're going to, uh, we're going to play a game, um, name to be determined. I'm thinking like quick plots. So in this bowl, I have various Marvel movies, some from the MCU, some not. 
So I'm saying, uh, for starters, we're each going to pick one, and then you have a minute to describe the plot of the movie as fully as you can. <laughs> Alright, so who would like to go first? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do it. Alright. Alright. What do you have? What do oh, you have? Oh no! What do you have? Venom? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, All you ready? You ready? Alright, All right. one minute, go! So, um, so you got, uh, so you got Eddie Brock, right? You remember him from, uh, everyone's favorite movie, uh, Spider-Man 3. Well, uh, he looks really different now. He's, uh, he's still kind of a schlub, but he's not a Topher Grace-style schlub. And he's living with, uh, Michelle Williams, who's a super hot girlfriend, and I think a lawyer or something. I don't remember. But she's, uh, related to this big conglomerate company that's run by the guy who's the bad guy in, uh, Jason Bourne and, uh, the worst character in, uh, Star Wars, uh, Rogue One. And he's all, and, uh, the bad guy's all like... We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use this alien goop and uh, we're gonna push the bounds of human evolution or whatever. And um, <laughs> then Eddie Brock is like, oh, he does something to uh, he does something to make his girlfriend angry. I can't for the life of me remember what it was. He looks at his computer or something. So Eddie Brock is kicked out of his home and he's like he's messing about in uh, like like a shitty apartment or whatever. And then I'm pretty sure he goes to help a homeless person who was kidnapped off the streets by the time. Bad what, that was a minute? That was a minute. Wow. <laughs> wow. You didn't even get to Venom yet. <laughs> well, Venom is the least interesting part of that movie, so... Oh, I guess Venom was more loaded than I thought. Jeez. All right, Pat, do you want to go or should I go? Yeah, I'll go for it. All right. Let me see here. Pick me a good one. Amazing Spider-Man. Oh! <laughs> the first one? The first Amazing Spider-Man movie. Okay, so... All right, you ready? Uh, Alright, yeah. one minute, go! Andrew Garfield does not look like a teenager, and yet he's playing one anyway, and he's a pretty good Spider-Man, but a terrible <laughs> Peter Parker, and he's traipsing about the city, doing what he does, shooting webs, shooting up one-liners, it's all pretty good, and uh, then we had a pretty forgettable villain, it was a, it was a lizard, uh, it was an amputee that they got his arm back because of reptiles, um, and Gwen Stacy's there, and Emma Stone is fantastic. And she's like one of the best parts of the movie, I think. Um, and uh, uh, her dad's there too, and he's a cop. And the cop doesn't like Spider-Man because no one likes Spider-Man except for Spider-Man, I guess. And uh, and uh, he still doesn't look like a high schooler by the end of the movie. And <laughs> why is a thirty-year-old man playing a teenager? The end. With five seconds to spare. Wow. You clearly handled this a lot better than I did with a worse movie. <laughs> all right, so Justin, you want to time me? All right, all let right. me see. What am I getting? Watch them all be like like Sony-related Spider-Man films. Thor The Dark World. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't luck. seen Thor in so long. All right. All right, one, two, go. Okay, so uh, this takes place after Avengers. Thor's gone back to Asgard for something. I guess, like, the giants are causing some trouble. So it starts with them, like, going world to world fighting the giants. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, Jane Foster is trying to find a way back to Asgard, and this mysterious, like, portal thing appears, or it's, like, dark matter or something. And, like, the dark matter, like, gets, like, sucked into her, and she's contaminated. So Thor appears again, and he takes her to Asgard. Um, and then, like, this, there's this elf named Malekith, played by the amazing Christopher Eccleston, who is trying to steal the red, they're trying to steal the dark matter goo. 
And so he invades Asgard, kills Thor's mother, so then Thor has to team up with Loki, who they captured again, or they still captured from Avengers. And they go to this world and they fight Malekith. Thor, or Loki appears to die. Um, Thor and him have this big fight where they go from world to world. Uh, Thor eventually wins. He gets back together with Jane Foster. He thinks everything is cool on Asgard, but Loki uh, is disguised as Odin. That's how the movie ends. Wow. Also with five seconds to spare. Hey. I, I failed. Well, I guess I just really resonated with like the first 15 minutes of Venom. Well, Justin, I got some good news for you. You get a chance to redeem yourself. Oh, boy. But you only have 30 seconds now. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Pick a name. All Pick right. a name. I hope it's a good one or like one I can surmise in like a single sentence. Okay. Okay. What do you got? I can do what this. Do Guardians Volume 2. All right. You ready? All right. All right. Yeah. Go. Okay. okay. So it's uh, it's a couple months after the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The Guardians are established uh, in the universe as like heroes and saviors or whatever. They piss off a race of uh, gold people who chase him down. But then Kurt Russell saves them. He tries to tell Peter Quill that he can be a god. Peter Quill decides that he's not about that life. Uh, Rocket teams up with Yondu. They all team up to fight uh, Kurt Russell. At the end, Yondu dies. Cat Stevens plays. Everyone cries. And that's it. Almost perfect. Almost perfect, Justin. Almost perfect. <laughs> All right, Pat. Okay. All right. What do we got for you? We have Iron Man Three. Yay! <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. All right. You ready? I was born for this. All right. Thirty seconds. Go. Okay. Both Avengers. Tony Stark has PTSD. He flies around. It's Christmas time, and his suit crashes, and his Five seconds to spare again, Patrick. <laughs> I vote that the name of this game should be When You Put It Like That, It Sounds Pretty Dumb. Because whenever we do, when you put it like that with these movies, they all sound pretty dumb. You know, that's not bad. So, I might, I, that's canon now. It's a whole I'm lot calling of, it. It's a whole lot of goo. All right. All right. Time me again. All right. What do I have? I have Iron Man 2. Hey! I don't even remember what happened. Oh, yeah. This is going to be rough. One, two, go. So there's this character named Whiplash who makes a suit where he basically has whips, and him and Tony start getting into a fight on a racetrack. Uh, Tony, meanwhile, like I guess this, uh, this, the metal thing in his chest is also killing him, um, so he has to go through all his father's old like records to find... Um, to find, like, this cure, he makes a new element, and that saves him, and he goes and has this big fight, and also, uh, I can't remember what the actor's name is, but he's also a bad guy, and he's just kind of there. Five mm. seconds to spare, <laughs> and how dare you besmirch Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, least, he, he's, he's my Literally. least favorite Marvel villain, and I don't even feel bad about that. Justin Hammer is fantastic. Oh, he's incredible. What's wrong with you? <laughs> All right, uh, guys, this is it. This is the finals. So one more round, 15 seconds. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Like a good one. Spider-Man 2. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so this is the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, right? Yes. All right. All right. 15 seconds. Go. Peter Parker is trying to balance his life as Peter Parker and Spider-Man, but he doesn't do a very good job at it. 
Doc Ock becomes a thing. Doc Ock uh, fights him on a train. At the end, he tells Mary Jane how he feels about her, and they fall in love. I absolutely hey, did it. You killed it. I absolutely you killed did it. it. I don't even care. You want to know why? Because nothing happens in that movie. It is two and a half hours of Peter Parker going through sad things, and then at the end deciding, well, that happened. All right, and what is Pat going to get? What is Pat going to get? The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you see this Incredible? Enthusiastic. Did you I see Incredible? It. Okay, because I say if you didn't see it, you can do pick another one. No, I all right, 15 seconds on the clock. Go. Okay, so, um, Bruce Banner is the Hulk, doesn't want to be, neither does the government. And by the end of it, he saves the girl, kills uh, the other Hulk thing, and goes into obscurity for like a few years. Yeah. You know what? There was a, there was a, there was a couple seconds differential, so you're fine. You yeah. got it. You I thought it. you were just like. Yeah, I thought you were just going to sit there and stun yeah. silence. Oh, I thought you were just going to like delay it for five seconds and just blow us all away. I with, thought like, that was the yeah. gag. <laughs> no, no, this guy's called delayed a little bit, but uh, I think I got all the important bits in there. Yeah, well, we'll give it to you. <laughs> all right, and let's see. Age of Ultron in 15 seconds. <laughs> all right, ready for this? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Tony invents a robot that goes that turns out is evil. He tries to destroy a city. Um, the Avengers meet Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and they all have to go save the city. Quicksilver dies, and people still don't really care about Quicksilver because he was done better in X-Men uh, Days of Future Past. You did it. Good job. What a game. <laughs> all right, that's, and that's what you call it? Uh, when you put it like that, it sounds pretty dumb. All right. Well, again, again, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a lot of fun. Glad you guys could make it. My pleasure. Pat's pleasure. <laughs> and as always, listeners, if you like what you hear, you hate what you hear, you're neutral about what you hear, you want to talk about Marvel, uh, like us on iTunes, uh, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Follow us on social media. We're Marvel Therapy Group. Uh, until then, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Marvel Therapy Group, where together we can work through our comic thoughts and learn to live beside them. Views expressed are of the host only and do not reflect Marvel Studios or comics in any way. Hosts are in no way qualified to provide therapy. This is simply the name of the podcast. This has been another Marvel Therapy Group session.